And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4 today. And you're going to need a Bible like or on your phone or a physical Bible uh, because we're not going to have this up on your screen. And we're going to walk through the whole chapter. You're like, oh my gosh, Chael, we're going to be here all night. Nah, not all night, but it's going to be a while. So uh, we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture together in chapter 4 because I think there's so many good things in here. Just as a way of reminder, um, we've been been looking at the book of Nehemiah for a little while. We're looking at how Nehemiah uh, takes charge over building the walls of Jerusalem. That After decades of the walls of Jerusalem being in ruin and kind of in decay, that God mobilizes Nehemiah and a group of people to rebuild the walls of the city. Uh, Remember that this is the place where God's presence is supposed to dwell and where blessing is supposed to go out to all of the earth. That's why this is like a big deal. It's not just that it's a city. It's not just as a physical place. It's that up till this point in time, this is God's plan for salvation, that his presence would dwell in his temple and the walls would make that secure. And so we've been looking at what we can learn about as a church family as we walk through the book of Nehemiah. Uh, now, now we're at the part of the story uh, Nia, uh, that Katie covered, uh, I believe it was last week or it was the week before, I can't remember, uh, where, um, where with the, the work has actually begun. So they're done with the preparation, they're starting to work on the wall, and, uh, and there's this thread in this chapter that I kind of want to pull on. Uh, and I want to set it up. There's kind of a long intro to get somewhere today. And so I want you to just kind of stay with me in this intro. And then we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of kind of what I'm ta- talking about. But as, as they're stepping into actually doing the work of building this wall, they step into this kind of God-sized dream of, of rebuilding something that's been ruins for a long time. They really have no business doing it. They shouldn't have had the resources to do it because they were people that were despised and didn't have much resources left. But the king uh, sends them to go and do it with all these resources to rebuild. Um, And as they're stepping into this, like stepping into this bigger story, there's opposition. In the middle of this opposition, something amazing is going to happen where they're, they're forced to stay focused on the big picture of rebuilding these walls. But while staying focused on the big picture, they're going to be reminded that they've got to fight for their families. And that's kind of the thread that I want to, I want to pull on. How do we stay focused on the big picture while also fighting for our families? Because I think there's a, a cool picture in this for what God might be doing kind of in our church family uh, and something that's going to be helpful for us uh, moving forward. So, uh, so we're going to look at kind of this big picture and then how do we fight for our families. Now, you might have been thinking like, hey, where's the nice Mother's Day message, Jail? Uh, well, if you know me, you know we're going to get there at some point in time. So, but this isn't, we're not doing, trying to do a squeaky clean Mother's Day message here. We're just trying to be faithful to the Word of God. And I promise you, if that's what you came for, you're going to be fired up by the end of this, okay? So, so put your seatbelts on. Let's go. You ready? All right, cool. All right. So let's just read through this. We're going to start with verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, the first couple of verses here, and then we're going to pause. So here's what it says. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and, and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? This is like old school trash talk. That's what's happening here. Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? 
Tobiah the Ammonite, who was by his side, kind of like he like chimes in. He's like, I was like, this is like so funny in my mind, the way this is like, ha what are they building? Even a fox can climb on it and it would break down their walls of stone. Like this is like, a, like this is not something we would ever say, but like to them, they're like totally making fun of them. Like that's totally what they're doing. They're standing on the outside mocking, ha even a fox would break these walls. It's like so, so silly. Uh, but, but here in these first couple verses, here's what we see. Almost every time we take a step toward the dream that God has for us, toward something bigger that God is asking us to do, it will awaken an enemy in our life. Almost every time we take a step towards the dream that God has for us, something bigger that God has for us, it awakens and arouses an enemy in our life. Anytime there's a God-sized dream, anytime there's something that you feel like, I'm going to take this step in this direction, it's almost like you're taking a step towards the enemy as you're taking a step towards the thing that God has for you. The people here, like, who are opposed, and by the way, this happens over and over again in Scripture. So think about the story of Joseph. It's a literal dream that Joseph's father has that one day he would kind of rise up above his brothers, and the next thing that happens is Joseph is like, almost killed by his brothers and thrown into a pit. And like you could trace this storyline all throughout scripture when people kind of take a step into something with God, it immediately becomes challenged. So like these people who are like saying this kind of like, you know, old school trash talk here, like these are people who had been around Jerusalem for a really long time and had no issue with the people of God that were in Jerusalem. So they were just there hanging out. It wasn't until they start trying to rebuild the wall that all of a sudden they start harassing these people. And I think that there's some interesting spiritual parallels for that. It's not a main point, that it's not a main thing I want to drive, but I just think a lot of times, like I've noticed in my own life, that like when I'm just kind of just taking it easy, riding along, like, and then it seems like God gets my attention about something and like wants me to take a, a step of faith or a risk, it seems like it's that point in time that all of a sudden I start experiencing some sort of spiritual attack in my life. Like, because the enemy doesn't care like about what's going on in your life when you're just kind of just going along your daily business. Like, but, but when we kind of step into, so for example, if you have a revelation of who you are in Christ and, and you start to kind of realize like, oh my gosh, like for me, I, I am a son of a really good father. And like, this is blowing my mind. And I start praying different. I start interacting with him. I start experiencing freedom. I know pretty soon that's going to be challenged in my life in some way. There's going to be something that will happen that the enemy's going to go, oh, no, he's dangerous if he thinks like this. You know what I'm talking about? This is going to happen. Again, so it's not like, this is not a major point that I want to dive into, uh, but if you're feeling some sort of opposition in your life right now, and you're feeling like this is like maybe a little bit more no, like than just normal kind of stuff, like it might be that maybe you've taken a step into what God has for you. Taking a step in the direction of some dream that God has, and it's awakened an enemy. And in this case, the people who are listed here, uh, so think about this the, the people are building, rebuilding this wall of Jerusalem. And if we were to have a map and we were to put these people groups on a map, you would see that they have actually encircled the city of Jerusalem. Like geographically, it would be like, I live in Wakanda. It would be like, oh man, the people from Fox Lake and Crystal Lake and Mundelein and Lake Zurich, they all came around me and started trash talking me, right? That would be kind of the sense here. Like, so this kind of group of people start to form a wall of opposition around them as they start to build this wall. So what does this look like in real life? Like, let's say, let's just say, take for an instance on a personal level, you as a family decide, you know what? 
I really feel like God is asking us to start doing some family devotions together. Like, we're going to start reading our Bible, we're going to start praying together, that kind of thing. Like, I guarantee you that within a week of making that decision, if you've got little kids, your little quick kids will, like, turn up squirrely in their life. Like, it's going to ramp up. Like, I guarantee you that something is going to try to come along and disrupt whatever neat and tidy schedule you thought you had for devotions. Anyone ever experienced this? right? The moment you say, so, or, hey, I think, I feel like God's really starting to call me to be more generous and like tithe, like, or an offering. Then all of a sudden something tends to happen. It's like everything in my house is broke, right? My car's broke down. And it's like, wait, all that, right? I'm, I'm just saying like this, if you've walked with God, you've experienced this in, in your life. Like uh, it, it, maybe it's about like, hey, I'm going to start like trying to like serve in some capacity in the church or serve my neighbors. Like uh, Jen and I have had this happen many, many times where we felt like, okay, God, now is the time where you're ready for us to start reaching our neighbors and pouring more into our neighborhood. And the moment that we step out, it feels like, boom, there's some sort of opposition that happens. Like it, it just happens over and over again because you are dangerous to the enemy when you're stepping into the things that God has for you. Like, so that shouldn't make us, like, be fearful. It should go, all right, we're on the right track. Let's do this. Now, I don't mean that every little thing in our life is spiritual attack, okay? Sometimes you just slept through your alarm. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you have a bunch of cavities, it, it just be you eat too much candy. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there, there are things in our life that, like, we, we aren't looking for a demon around every corner. But then there are definitely times where it's like, this feels like not normal. You know what I'm talking about? Like, this feels like there's more than just what is going on. And so, so, so my guess is that you've experienced this in some kind of way. All right, let's keep moving. So in the next verse, verse 4, here's what happens. There's this aside. It says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give, the, give, them, give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Uh, so we rebuilt uh, the wall till all of it reached half of its height for the people who worked with, and the, for the people worked with all of their heart. This is a really interesting thing. Uh, so throughout the book of Nehemiah, most of the book is someone recounting things that happened in the past. They're telling the story of what did happen. And here we actually have someone who's like narrating the story, who kind of breaks out of the story and writes his current prayer. That's kind of an interesting thing. So he's, throughout the story, he's saying, this is what happened, this is what happened. And then all of a sudden, he like breaks in the middle of the story. What that tells us is this is like a very firsthand account of what was going on. So more than likely, Nehemiah or a group of scribes were kind of coming along with him, and they're recounting the story of what happens. And this is a prayer that Nehemiah probably prayed in the middle of all of this. And it's not recounting the story of what Nehemiah, it's like, this is exactly what Nehemiah said. And actually, it gives some, just as an aside, some historical credence to this book. And by the way, did you know that these names of these enemies, Sanballat and these other names, these are actually found on uh, uh, carvings and stone outside of Israel. So we know these were actual real people and real enemies of Israel in that time. They don't just appear in the Bible. Isn't that cool? Like, so when you're reading your Bible, sometimes you're like, wait, did this really happen? Yes, 100%. We have outside of the Bible verification that these people were in opposition to this building that was, that was happening. So I think that's really interesting. But here's what I love. There is no lack of resolve here. So even though there's opposition, 
like the resolve of the people, it didn't matter that there were opposition. He was like, all right, God, we hear what they're saying. We hear, we hear what's going on. Shut them down, and we're going to keep working. I love how it says that the people worked with all their heart. It was like they didn't lose heart. They just kept at it. They just kept going. It didn't matter that they had opposition. They kept going. But here's the thing. As the people's faith increases and as their resolve increases, so does the opposition. And so we go to verse 7. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and all the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, so they thought that they would stop them with their insults and kind of trash talk. But when they heard that they had gone ahead and that there were, the gaps were being closed, now they're angry. That's interesting. They're angry that this is happening. Then they all plotted together. So before, they're all kind of just lobbing their insults from afar, but now they're coming together. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble. So it's like the enemies doubled down. Before it was just talk, and before it was just posturing, and they realized that the people are not going to back down. I have Tom Petty, won't back down in my head right now. So, uh, so they won't back down. And they start to form battling, battle plans and attacking. So now it's more than talk. Now the people are going to actually attack the Israelites as they're rebuilding. And you've probably experienced this too. Like there's one level of kind of warfare. And then you start to take something that actually requires some, some real faith. And you start kind of stepping into something bigger. Now the, the opposition increases. It intensifies. Almost every time as a church where we've taken a new initiative, there's been some sort of opposition to it. As a pastor, almost any time that I feel like, I think this is a new direction God's calling us. I think this is something, I think this is something that we should, we should be doing. Almost every time there's some sort of opposition. Uh, there's something that would make me question that. Like, there's something that makes it, okay, like, do, is that really what we should do? Like, I, I'm not sure. But here's what I love the response, and here's what our response, response would be. Verse 9. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. They don't give up at the sign of opposition. They pray. It's like, okay, God. Um, so, yeah, there's opposition. I guess we got to keep going. So you're going to have to help, right? God, we're going to need you. They don't ignore the fact that the opposition is happening either. It's like, they don't, they're not like, yeah, no big deal. They're not, they're not lobbying threats. There's no armies out there getting ready to like attack us. They don't ignore the threats either. They post guards here. They take proactive steps to put people in place. Okay, there's a threat out there. We better pray. And then we better do something to respond. And I think that most of us, when we experience opposition to something we, that we feel like God is having a step into or that God has called us to, we tend to run into these kind of two extreme responses. Oftentimes, we just give up. It gets hard. It's hard right off the bat. And so it's like, all right, uh, I guess this is not what God said. So for example, let, let's go back to the example. You feel like God's asking you as a family to start praying more, do some sort of family devotion, or you feel like God's asking you to spend more time with him or, or spend more time with neighbors. I guarantee you that opposition is going to happen. And so what, we have a choice to make when that happens. Like our, our response is like, oh, it's too hard. Let's just give up. Or we step in and we say, hey, God, help. If this is something you're asking me to do, I need you to help. I need, you to, I need you to show me how to do it. And then we also don't just give up. We actually do something to respond. So I think one of the extremes that can happen is when we experience opposition like this is that we just throw up our hands. It's, ah, it's too hard. We're not going to do this. In my, in my experience, most of the time, 
Opposition is a sign that I'm stepping in the right direction rather than the other way around. Most of the time, not all the time. Let me just say this is, let me, can I just pastor for a second? When, when you step into something that you feel like God is asking you to do and, you, and, and to step into, and you experience some sort of opposition, some sort of difficulty, something that's coming your way, I think one of the most important things is to make sure you've got some people around you who know you and know the Lord to help you sort this out. To say, yeah, Chael, that just sounds like you're making a bad decision. Don't do that. Or, no, Chael, I think that sounds like the exact thing God would say, and I think you should press forward. I think you should keep going. Does that make sense? Like, I'm just not smart enough and wise enough on my own to always be discerning about whether or not the opposition that I'm experiencing is genuine spiritual warfare, or I just made a really bad choice, right? And so it's important to have people, people around us, but what we shouldn't do is just give up because there's opposition. If, if Jesus did that, we wouldn't be sitting here in this room, right? Everywhere Jesus runs, he's running into demons, Everywhere Jesus goes, he's running into people. Jesus, you can't do what you're doing. Why are you sitting with those people? Why are you letting that woman wash your feet? Why are you talking like that? Why are you drinking that wine? Why are you eating so much? Like everywhere they go, like Jesus is meeting opposition to the point where I'm like, man, if I'm not meeting opposition, maybe I'm not doing the right things. Not as a sense of like martyrdom, like I just want it to be hard. Not that, but like, I just wonder like, should I be running up into more opposition? But sometimes we give up, or sometimes we ignore. Ah, it's not that bad. Ah, this is, this is no big deal. The check engine light is on your car. You can't ignore that for a long time. I've had cars that you like do that forever and ever, but then I've had some, it's like, you better get that thing in quick and get it checked out, right? It's like sometimes we just ignore warning signs in our life that there is like, there's opposition and attack, and then we're not prepared when it really ramps up. Like, maybe think about the old Monty Python movie, like, it's just a flesh wound. Anyone remember? Yeah. I'm, I'm dating myself. The guy has his arms cut off and his legs cut off and he's still fighting and he's like, ah, it's just a flesh wound. It's no big deal. It's like, no, like, like there's real opposition. It's time to pay attention. If you haven't seen this movie, anyway, well, we won't go there. So we don't just ignore the threats. We don't just ignore those things. We actually take time to respond. But here, they, they don't ignore and they don't give up. They pray and they respond. But the reality is that sometimes when you step into these things, when you're stepping into something God has for you, that even when you're on the right track and even though God is with you, you can get weary. You can get tired. It's the reason why Paul says, don't get weary in doing good, because there's a tendency to get weary in doing good, right? Like, it's like, it's like telling someone, don't be afraid, you only say that when there's a reason to be afraid, right? Like, or at least a person thinks there's a reason to be afraid. And so here, uh, they, get, they get weary. So here's what it says, verse, verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out, and there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and kill them and put an end to their work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so here they get tired. They get weary. They start giving in to a little bit of fear. This threat is real. Like, guys, we're, we're talking about spiritual attack. They're talking about physical death, right? Like there's reason to be afraid. If we keep doing what we're doing 
and these, keep, these people keep making advances towards us, it's very likely I'm going to die. That's essentially what they're saying. And this is really hard work. We're not talking, like, they don't have machines to do this work. They're not, like, you know, using, like, a lift and, like, you know, all kinds of stuff. They're, they're using shovels and ropes and wheelbarrows. And, like, and they're working. This is, like, physical labor. Of course you get tired. It's natural. When you're stepping into something that God has for you, when you're stepping into kind of kingdom work, there's, and, there's gonna be, and there is sustained opposition, it's normal to be tired. And it's normal every once in a while to be afraid. I just, just want to say that to everybody in the room. It's okay to get tired. And it's okay that every once in a while, there's something that causes some fear in your life. That makes you human. That makes you a human being. There are things in, in life where I wish I could tell you I was stoic in every circumstance. I'm not. I get weary. I get tired. I get frustrated. I get fearful. And you do too. Like, there, there are times where I'm like, I just don't know what's going to happen here, God. And I'm, I'm worried about what the outcome here is going to be. And like, it's not a matter of whether or not you get afraid or not or get tired. It's what you do when you're tired and afraid. Does that make sense? This happened with Jesus' life. Uh, you know, there are many times where he is like deeply troubled in his spirit by the things that he sees. And then Jesus is praying in the, in the garden. He takes his disciples with him to go and pray. I, when I look at that scene, I don't think he was necessarily just trying to teach his disciples something. I actually think he really needed them there. Like, I really think if, if you are crying and sweating blood, like, that's a pretty intense feeling. And he's, and he's saying, God, I don't want to do this. If there's any way this cup can pass from me, like, that, that might not sound like a whole lot of fear, but you've had that feeling before, like, God, this is too much. If there's any way, if there's any way that this can stop, please, like, just let this pass, right? Like, you've all experienced that before. So you're not weak, if that's, a, if that's the case, you're human. And Jesus identifies with you in your weariness and in your fear. We have a God who is well acquainted with every human emotion. Do you know that? Like, whatever, whatever you have felt, there's been something of that in Jesus. So he knows exactly what it is that you feel. That's amazing to me. That blows my mind. So all that to say, don't beat yourself up. It's actually in these moments where we know we've stepped into the thing that God has for us, and we feel like we're moving in the direction. We feel like we're, we're kind of a part of something bigger. We're, we're doing that kingdom work, uh, and then we start to feel tired and weary with the opposition and just the labor, that we need some reminders of why we're doing what we're doing and who is on our side, and then some practical ways to kind of help us get through. So we need reminders of, of why we're doing what we're doing, of who is on our side, and then some practical things that we should do. There's kind of these three little things, and that happens here in these next verses, verse 13. This is the meat and potatoes here we're going to get into right now. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall. So after he hears the people coming to him saying, we're getting tired, we're getting afraid, he stations people in the lowest points of the wall in the exposed places, posting them by families. Pay attention to that with swords and spears and bows. And after I looked over things, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. Fight for them. 
And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, I love this. If there's any doubt about whether or not God's in this plan, Nehemiah makes it clear. When God frustrated their plans, we all returned back to work, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the, or did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the people of Judah uh, who were building the wall. And all who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with another. It, it, get that picture in your head. A sword in one hand and a shovel in another. And each of the builders wore a sword his side as he worked. But the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. This is like some of my favorite passage in this whole entire book. This is just so loaded with metaphor and meaning for us. So here's what Nehemiah says. Look, okay, I see you. I see your fears, friends. Like I see what you're saying. I'm looking out and I see what's going on. I see there's a lot of work to be done and I see the enemies coming at you. So here, let's just do this real quick. Let's take a practical step of repositioning ourselves in the weak places. Let's just, let's just be attentive, right? We're not going to ignore the fact. We're not going to act like this isn't happening. We're going to reposition ourselves. And then, but we're not going to back down. We're not going to back down from this. So it's like, okay, you boys, you go over here. You guys go over here. But here's the thing I really want you to do. Get your families together. And he says, hey, remember who is on our side. The Lord who's great and awesome. We read those words because we use the words great and awesome in like non-religious settings, and so they don't mean anything to us. But to say that God is great and awesome, like the word awesome means to like be like, that is so huge, I am in awe. It causes a fear, like a fear that says like, oh my gosh, this could crush me if it wasn't for me. That, that's what he's saying. This God who, who would crush you if he wasn't for you. And he's the one that's on your side. He is great and he's awesome. So remember who's on your side. I know you're getting weary. I know that you're getting tired, but I want you to know who is with you in this. He's on our side. You know, every once in a while, I, this is what we do when we worship. When we worship, part of what we're doing is reminding ourselves of who God is. We sing these songs and reflect on what God has done. And it does something inside of us that reminds us who is on our side. There have been so many times, and you probably experienced this too, where I come in with one set and one, one spirit, and I walk out completely different. And the thing that happened is I was reminded of who God is. Every time we take communion at this table, I'm reminded of the mercy and grace of our Savior. What a genius Jesus was. You know, for us, we, don't, we do this on Sunday. He said, no, every time you sit at your table and you drink bread and wine, which you do with basically every meal in Israel, I want you to remember this covenant I formed with you. That's awesome, guys. We got to remember who is on our side. And then he says this, like, I want you to know why you're doing this. You are fighting for your families. You're fighting for your families. Nehemiah, you know, this whole thing started with, hey, we're going to rebuild this wall. Like, we're going we're gonna to restore back the walls of Jerusalem. So there's this big picture dream and vision. And, and so Nehemiah wants them to be reminded that that is the case, that they're, they're fighting for this big picture dream. But what he's telling the people is like, what's at stake here? It's not the walls of Jerusalem, it's your families. So you're not just fighting to restore some broken, uh, some, some broken masonry here. You're actually fighting to make sure that your families can flourish. Building the walls of Jerusalem would have meant that their families who lived inside the walls of Jerusalem would have been physically safe. 
But more than that, it represented their spiritual heritage. When, if the walls are safe, it means the temple is safe. And if the temple is safe, it means God's presence can return to the temple. And if God's presence returns to the temple, then God's people can be their people. Like, this is, this is his mindset. He's like, look, you're fighting for your family by defending this wall. If the walls are weak and vulnerable, then it means your families are weak and vulnerable. Guys, I think there's such an important picture here for us in this. There is an attack on you and your family. I just want to be really clear about that. Whether you're a single person with a group of friends, whether you're married and no kids, or married with kids, or have grandkids, it doesn't matter. There is a spiritual attack going on for you and your family. Our enemy's task is to kill, to steal, and destroy, to disrupt your life. This is a reality. This isn't like, the, the Bible doesn't know any world in which there isn't an enemy of our souls warring against us. It, like, it, it, it's just the reality that's happening in the world that we live in. And I'm not talking about culture wars and political things right now. Like, we could talk about that another day, that, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one who roars about like a, roams about like a roaring lion who wants to lead you away from a life with God. That's the battle I'm talking about. We get way too many caught up in all kinds of other like things. Look, at the end of the day, the devil does not want you to love Jesus. He does not want you to know the love of the Father. He does not want you to experience the power and the presence of God in your life by his spirit. He does not want it. He does not want it. He doesn't want it for you, and he doesn't want it your friends, for your friends. You're in a battle whether you know it or not. I am too. And like when I hear this, and I, when I read this passage in Nehemiah, it jumped off the page, fight for your families. Fight for your friends. Fight for the ones that you love. Here it was physical enemies in the story. And it warranted a physical response. For us, we have a spiritual enemy and it warrants a spiritual response. And we can talk about like spiritual warfare another day. And like all the, the Bible has a lot to say about how to fight a spiritual battle. Uh, but you know what? I think we get too bogged down in like the thinking about how do we fight the spiritual battle and how do I do the, the, you know, the armor of God and all that kind of stuff. But I think we have one simple weapon at our disposal Jesus has to be the absolute center of your family. Jesus has to be the absolute center of your life. There is no other way to fight a spiritual battle. It doesn't happen. All the spiritual warfare and demon talk and angels and all of that kind of stuff, it doesn't mean anything if Jesus isn't Lord. You hear what I mean? I'm not saying that out of any sense of rebuke. I'm saying it right here. The, the spiritual battle can only be won if Jesus is the center of your life, for you personally and for your family. It doesn't matter whether you're single or married or not. It, like, whoever the people are and you're close to, like, you have to take very seriously the fact that there is a war for the souls of the people around you. And like, man, I'm just so tired of hearing stories of people in our community and our towns who have been given over to things that are ruining their life 
depression and anxiety and suicide and suicide attempts and perversion and confusion and just, it, man, I'm just, uh, man, we are in a war. And if you think I'm like being like overly heavy-handed, like Paul the apostle uses the language of a person who is in the military and is, you're a soldier. And then sometimes he uses the metaphor of an athlete who's training for a great race. And then sometimes he uses the language of a farmer who has to work diligently to, the, to a harvest. So if you don't like the war metaphor, that's fine. Push that aside. Be an athlete. Be a farmer. I don't care. Do whatever you do, but take seriously the fact that the enemy is warring against you. But that is not what God wants. And I don't want to put all the attention there because here's the thing. Jesus says that he came to bring life and life eternal, right? And that we can experience that life abundant right here and right now. And so actually, I don't want to give the devil any time. I don't want to give demons any time. I was like, Jesus, be magnified in my life. Be, be, just be uplifted in my life so that I can have a flourishing life with you. I want to be tethered to the vine. I want my life to bear much fruit. How about you? And I want that for my friends and my family and the people around me. I want to look down the street and go, you know what? It's not okay that my neighbor is suffering that way. I want them to experience a life with God. There's so much more. There's so much more. There's so much more. I didn't plan on getting this fired up. Do the decisions, the time, the money, the values in your life and in your family, do they reflect a priority of Jesus? Or do they reflect other priorities and other pursuits? It's fine to have other things that you love and other things you want to do, but they all have to fall second to Jesus. Now, the temptation is to be like, yes, okay, got it. Battle for me, battle for my family, check. So I need to focus more on my family, right? But that's not exactly what happens in the story. Nehemiah reminds that they're fighting for their family, but he keeps them focused on rebuilding the wall. So it's not, hey, stop building the wall and now fight for your family. It's no, fight for your family, but keep a shovel in this hand because we're going to keep doing this thing. We're going to keep at this bigger picture thing that God has called us to. It's not either or. They don't become focused on their enemies and then stop the work because the battle isn't the main thing. Churches and, churches and Christians get too, too caught up in things when they make spiritual warfare the main thing. It's not. Jesus is the main thing. And if we stay focused on him, you will walk into spiritual warfare and you better be ready for it. Like, but, but I'm just saying, like, Jesus is the main thing. So we don't get focused on the battle, just like they didn't get focused on the battle. And we don't stop building the wall. We keep building the wall. For us, it's partnering with God in the building of his kingdom. The attacks that are happening on their families are because they're part of a story that's bigger than what they are, and they're not supposed to abandon that story and abandon the work, and neither are we. It's a tricky situation because here in the story, they need to keep their family safe, but they need to fight and fight to keep their family safe. But if they, if they stop working on the wall, then they're going to continue to be in constant threat, right? Remember, it's the rebuilding the wall that will bring safety and potentially welcome in the presence of God to transform the nations, right? So they're in this tension, do we fight for our family or do we rebuild the wall? And the answer is yes. It's an incredible picture for us. God has invited us into a bigger story. You're not rebuilding a physical wall, but you, if you are a follower of Jesus, have been invited into the greatest story of all time and the biggest and most important work of all time to partner with him in the renewal of all things. 
Jesus is establishing a kingdom and he's asking you to partner with him and the, rebuild, and the building of that kingdom here on earth. It's a kingdom that brings healing and hope. It's a kingdom that brings deliverance. It's a kingdom that brings goodness and mercy. That's what Jesus' kingdom is all about. And just like they needed the physical wall in order to protect that and build their kingdom, like we need to be attentive to the things that Jesus is trying to build here and now on this earth. Because we need that. Don't we need more hope? (laughs) Don't we need more deliverance? Don't we need more freedom? Don't we need more forgiveness and love and mercy? Doesn't the world need that, right? Doesn't your family need that? Yes, that's the environment in which our families thrive. That's what Jesus wants for the whole world, not for just your family. And so here's the thing, like the more we focus on his mission, the more we focus on the building of his kingdom, the more we will get to enjoy the blessings and the benefits of that kingdom. And this is what your family really needs and what you need as an individual. So we can't focus like so many do on just protecting our own family and growing our own family and think that that will be the thing that God wants. I'm telling you, that is a trap. That is a, that is a subtle tactic of the enemy to get you to be like, I'm just going to hunker down and focus right here on my people right here. Meanwhile, the world around you is absolutely falling apart. That's not God's heart. That's not God's plan. There are times for that. There are times for going, hey, our family's a mess, and we got to make sure that we attentive to it. But I guarantee you that God's heart is that you do both and. That you step into the bigger story that he has for you while also paying attention to the junk that's in your family. It's not an either or thing. So yes, we fight for, the fam- for our own families. But yes, we step into the bigger story. There are lots of ways that we can step into that kingdom work. Uh, sometimes it looks like serving in the church, uh, using your gift in worship or hospitality, your kids or giving or whatever. Sometimes it's about the way we, we step into serving the poor. Sometimes it's about starting or leading new ministries. Sometimes it's about using our gifts and talents to be in a blessing in everyday life. There's, I mean, we, we can't put a box on it because there are so many things. God has uniquely designed each and every person in this room to have a role in the renewal of all things. He, he just has. And all of it matters. And all of it is meant to be done to his glory. And when it's done for him and through him and to him, it will benefit and bless you. I promise you. And it will be a blessing to your family. But oftentimes, we feel the need to separate these things, that we have to choose between fighting for our families and attending to our needs or doing the kingdom stuff. And that's not true. The more you put Jesus at the center of your family, the better position you'll be to join in the kingdom work that God is doing around you. And the more that you join into God's kingdom work, the better position you'll be in for your family to thrive and grow. You see, it works together. Like the, the, the sword in one hand to defend my family, the shovel in the other hand to build the thing that God is building. I do both. And in doing both, I actually make myself stronger, make my, my family stronger, but I also make the kingdom stronger right? In our context of the kingdom of God, it looks like the local body of the church, but I don't want to confuse. The kingdom is not the church. They, the, we, we are like a little outpost of the kingdom of God here. We're, we're an expression of what the kingdom of God looks like. We're not the sum total of it. But look, if you don't know where to serve in the kingdom, the local church is a really good place to do it, right? Because the reality is, if this is, called, this is the place where you feel like God has called you to be here and call home, it, you have a position here. You have a place here. God has positioned you on the wall in this church 
to fight for your family and to, to work for the building of what God is doing here. The stronger we are as a church, because you're serving, because you're giving, because you're using gifts, the better positioned we are to be a blessing to you and to other people around us. Do you see that? Jesus never had in mind a consumer model of church where there's a, 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 a few people who do a lot of work really well so that all of us can come and absorb it and feel really good and go home. That was not his heart. His heart was, you're a hand, you're a foot, you're an armpit, you're an elbow, let's get to work. <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> you see? Like, we're one body, many parts, all meant to step into the good work that he's doing. And if I'm not doing my part, this other part over here is suffering. We're, we're all called to it. Look, and the reality is, sometimes it takes a while to figure this stuff out. By the way, I wasn't calling anyone in particular an armpit. If I happen, if I happen to be looking at someone, it was a totally accident. Daniel is the armpit. He's giving me, uh, he's giving me, <laughs> yeah, for, fitting for youth ministry, right? Mm. All right, we won't go there. It, sometimes it takes a while to figure this stuff out. So, uh, so don't hear me saying, like, hurry up and get busy. Just like, man, I just want you to lean into what you feel like God's nudging in your heart. The things that he's stirring up. The things he's drawing your attention to. The things he's drawing you to notice and, and see in our church family. Like, man, we just need, we really need you. And it's not just about what we need as a church. It's about us as a church being able to be the blessing to the world that God's called us to be. And then as we do that, it makes us stronger because now I'm able to be attending to the th other things I can do. And this person over here, man, they have a real gift of like uh, counseling and therapy and shepherding people. Man, they get to be freed up because now they're not doing these other things. They're actually pouring into this family over here. Man, it, it, the whole thing just works together. God is crazy. <laughs> like the way he designed this thing, right? It, it, it's just It's just wild that he would say, look, here's the way. I, I want to trust. Hold on. You know those, I'm picturing this, talking to his angels. So you know those beings we created? Yeah. You know how they uh, ruin everything all the time? Um, I was thinking, what if we entrusted to them the salvation of the universe? What if, what if we did that? What, so here's, here's how it's going to work. We're going to send the sun. Sun, you up for this? Yes, send me. Yep. Um, and you're going to give your life, and you're going to die. And the son's like, yes, I've been thinking about this all along, Father. Let's do this. Like, uh, like let's, let's do it. And the Spirit of God is like, yes, also, yes, this sounds great. And the angels are like, but what are you doing? They've screwed it up over and over again. They're going to do it again. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's like, no, this is going to be awesome. Son goes, gives his life for Christ, or give, lays down his life, and he's like, hey, okay, now I want you to go out into all the world and make disciples, and there isn't another plan. Like, I'm not going to come back until you have done this work. And then he's like, okay. And then I can picture the disciples and the angels being like, but how is this going to work? Because they're just so bad. And the Holy Spirit saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to spread myself to all of the people who believe in his name. And so the Spirit, gets, the Spirit comes and gets poured out into every single one of us humans. And the angel's like, wait, like, God, you're in all of them? Like, all of them? Do you realize how insane this plan is? This is exactly what God destined in his heart to do. He committed in his heart to say, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And they're going to be in charge of the renewal of all things. Jesus doesn't have a physical body on earth but you. You are it. 
you are the hands and feet of Jesus. Like, there's no one else like we should be waiting to show up in the doors of our church and fix things and do things. You are it. The spiritual gifts that we need are in this house. The money, the, all the resources of God, the things that we need to reach our neighbors and our community are in this house. Because the Spirit of God, the one who made it all, is in this house. So it's time to pick up our sword and our shovel. It's time to take seriously fighting for our families and putting Jesus at the center. And it's time to take seriously going, okay, God, if you put me here in this expression of the kingdom, what is it that you're asking me to do? What does it look like for me to defend this portion of the wall? Even now, I wonder if you just took a second to reflect. Are you putting Jesus at the center of your life and your home? And if so, or if you, if you were to take more steps to do that, how would it benefit your family? How might it change the, thing, the culture and the, the temperature of your heart and your home if Jesus was truly at the center? Oh, man, I was out here worshiping. It's like, God, I want my delight to only be in you. So when I'm dissatisfied with things on earth, I don't even feel that sense of dissatisfaction because you are my only reward. I'm, I'm only telling you that not to sound holy, but because I am so dissatisfied so often. You know what I mean? Because it's easy for me to see how it's less than, how it could be more, how I could do more, how I could be more. I just want, I just want you. And that's only going to happen if I put him at the center of my life. I, I think God wants you to have that kind of satisfaction. I don't know what it is for you, like, but, but I think putting Jesus at the center of your life will bring a level of freedom and healing in your life that you desire, God desires for you. And what if you were to commit yourself to the kingdom work? Say, God, I'm going to commit myself to being attentive to how you're moving around me, and I want to step in to the story of my neighbors or my friends or my coworkers. What would it change? What would it change? Often, I often feel like really you have that thought, you know, Jesus, if you were physically here in this room, it would be different. But Jesus says, I, I chose not to do it that way. I said, it's better that I go away. So I've sent you in this room. Whew. That means I can, I know that there's something that's a part of me where there's more that I can experience of God in my life. Last little bit. I'm just going to read this and just comment briefly and we'll close. Rob, if you want to come up, that's fine. Verse 19. Then I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the walls. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us here. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of the dawn until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so that they can serve, uh, serve us as guards by night and workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off their clothes. Each had his weapon and each, even when he went for water. I love this picture that it has of people saying, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to fight for our families and we're going to fight for the wall. And so they decide to do that. And what that means is at times they will be separated. 
At times, they're going to have to space out. And at times, it's going to feel lonely. But I love the way he says, like, when that happens, when you feel lonely and when you feel spread out, we're going to sound the trumpet. And when you hear that trumpet sound, it's a call to come together. Like, I, I don't want to press the metaphor too far, but guys, but this is why we come together and worship on Sundays. Because as we're all spread out doing the work that God has called us to do, because most of you are not thinking about Fusion Church and what happens here on Sunday night. You're thinking about your jobs and your kids and school and whatever else is happening, right? We're all spread out into the world. It can get really lonely while we're doing the work of God, right? And God is built into the fabric of his people to not stop meeting together, to have this call of worship where we gather back together, where we, where we come back together and say, you know what? We're the people of God and I'm here for you. Did you have a rough week? Let me pray for you. Are, are, are you needing something? Like, let's, let's do this together. I just love the fact it's a trumpet call. Like, we're going to brush out the shofars around here. Not really. Uh, uh, John, don't be sad. Uh, uh, but, I, but I love the fact that it's a trumpet call. And maybe it's not just about, I mean, it's one, that's one way to look at it. But another way to look at it is like, man, we have this technology where we can reach anyone at any time and say, hey, I'm lonely. I'm hurting. I don't know what to do. I feel all alone in this. My kids are nuts. I don't have any friends. Like, I, I don't know what to do. I feel overwhelmed at work. Like, where we have the ability to call people and say, help, where we can come together, guys. If we're not supporting each other, we have no hope. Like, we just don't. So we have to be able to be the kind of people who will ask for help and then the kind of people who will respond when someone needs help. If we ever want to hope to fight for our families and do the things that God is calling us to do. Would you stand with me? So I just want to ask you for a second. Close your eyes if you can. What's getting your attention? What's God stirring up in your heart? Maybe it's something about putting Jesus at the center of your family or of your life. We encourage you, don't don't map out a 10-point plan for how to do it. Just get up tomorrow morning and do something new. Put Jesus at the center. Maybe God's stirring up something about, I, I really, I feel like the, that God has something for me and stepping into his story and uh, partnering with him and building his kingdom, but I, I, it's not clear. It's fuzzy. That's when I ask, just tell you to ask for clarity. Holy Spirit, come right now. Bring clarity to gifts right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, I ask you, my sweet, sweet Father, to come and bring, bring clarity right now for, for where there's confusion or a cloud in any way. I pray that you would, just, you would just push it to the side and bring clarity right now in the name of Jesus. I pray even right now there might be new business ideas birthed that will benefit the kingdom right now. In the name of Jesus, I plant a seed right now in that. For other people, just like, hey, I, I, I know I've got a gift. I know, I know I should be using it. I'm not. 
I pray right now, Lord, that you'd release them from whatever's holding them back. I feel like there's someone in the room right now and the issue is about love. Like, I really just don't love people. (laughs) And I know I'm supposed to. And I feel like I'm lacking in love. So God, I pray that you would just flood that person's heart right now with love for their neighbors and love for their enemies. That can only happen by you, Lord. Flood their heart with love. If you're, if you're in the room, you're like, yeah, I, I feel like tonight is the night. I am ready to really fully surrender my life to Jesus. And I pray that tonight you would just simply say, Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to know you. And just let him take care of the rest. Now, I want to pray a few blessings to, to leave before we go. For all of you mothers, Lord, I lift up the mothers in the room who are a beautiful expression of the heart of God. God, I think about your nature that's revealed as tender-hearted and and like uh, loving little hens, little chicks gathered together. Lord, I pray for every mother here, God, that they would have your heart in their heart. They would desire to bring forward life, God, and their children that have been entrusted to them, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just, you would bring blessing upon blessing. I pray that you would bring them rich and meaningful friendships. God, that help them sustain motherhood. God, and I pray that you'd help them to to savor the memories with their children that are a gift from the Lord. And I pray, Lord, you'd teach them to use their voice in fighting for their families. Lord, and for every woman in this room right now, God, I pray that they would fully step into the calling that they have to represent the image of God. God, that they would be fierce in their revelation of the character of God. Lord, that they would fully use their voices the way that you've equipped them and designed them within the body of Christ and in the world, God. I pray, I pray God, that they would, uh, they would band together like a group of women who really love and fight for one another. God, I pray that there would be just an incredible amount of unity among the women in our church. God, I pray that you will raise them up, Lord, to to be mighty women of God and that they would reveal the heart of God in ways that only the women of our church can. God, I pray that they would cast off the pressures of the world, God, uh, the unseen pressures, Lord, and I pray, Lord, for that you would heal every hurt for every hurting woman today. 
Lord, for, for anyone who struggles with relationship with mom, for anyone who struggles with relationship with siblings, with, uh, with fulfilling certain expectations, uh, with, with wanting a child, for anyone in the room with any of those struggles, I pray that the healing hand of Jesus would come into the room and bring healing and peace in the name of Jesus right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would teach us to truly be a community that rejoices with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Lord, and would you send them out into the world to be all that you've called them to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 I love you all so much. If you didn't already, ladies, we have our, our uh, bouquet bar out there. Go ahead and make your way out there. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next week. If you need prayer for anything, I'd love to pray for you.